Welcome to another edition of Politics and Rana McBerto. Will is your host. PDR welcomes badass comedian Mona Sheikh. She combines a South Asian sensibility with strong Americanized values, cherishing the First Amendment, the right to bear witness with a big freedom-loving mouth that raises eyebrows and temperature. She has a hell of an offbeat sense of humor. Sheikh is a non-uptight tightrope walker who commits serious oral gammy. You get it? Unfolding the spoken word while striving to maintain equilibrium whilst dealing with harsh and conflicting forces. With half of her life spent in a prominent conservative Muslim household in Pakistan and the other immersed with America's entertainment and culture, Mona now knows she was set out to break boundaries. Today, Mona resides in Los Angeles, California, pursuing her career as a comedian and actor while developing her upcoming one-hour special and comedy TV series. She also made history by becoming the first Pakistani female comedian to headline Hollywood improv. Mona was most recently featured in LA Times, Forbes, LA Weekly, NBC, The Progressive, and Huffington Post. Mona has headlined in Dubai, Portugal, and London. She has emceed the Women's March in San Francisco in 2019, thus making history to be the first South Asian Middle Eastern female comedian to perform for a crowd of 60,000 people. She recently appeared on The Rookie on ABC as Donna Abassi and will also be on Apple TV's Helpsters as Reina Rafter. She, gained, she again made history by producing her own show at the world-famous comedy store in Los Angeles called Minority Reports with a launch of sold-out shows. Mona, Mona, Mona. That was a handful. No, that was a mouthful. No, that was a ton. You are out there, girl. Talk to me. How are you doing today? I, I'm doing great. You know what it is? It's like I um usually when the intros happen, I'm not present for the intro. So I'm just like when somebody's saying the intros, I'm like, la, 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 la. You know, and because it's like, okay, it's too much. I mean, now it sounds like I'm showing off. This is just showing off. Like, okay, stop. Um, wait, 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 wait. Showing off your your show business. What's the first word in show business? It's show. Yeah, it's Thank show. You. you know, you show your talent. Like, you know, I, I guess I get a little, uh, I don't know. I get a little but shy about you're that. You're talented, my dear. You're talented. But you know what? Uh, your, your story, first you. of all, your story, first of all, when it was brought to me, I said, we had to have you. And the only thing I'm kind of pissed about is that you went to Times, Forbes, LA Weekly, NBC, <laughs> before you came to the little guy at Politics Done Right. So I'm hurt, but no, it's okay. Please don't be hurt. I just I just learned about you recently. So if I had learned about you, I would have totally been, uh, but and listen, we're here. That's all that are, matters. You know what? Exactly right. We are here. But here, here's the deal, Mona. Your history... Um, for the things that I talk about in politics, it goes beyond politics. It mm -hmm. goes into real humanity. So yeah. what I want to ask you is, first of all, tell us a little bit about your upbringing. And, uh, and then I'm going to ask you about your transition. So tell me a little bit about your upbringing, where you're from, etc. Yeah, so I uh, was born and partially raised in Karachi, Pakistan, or as you say, Pakistan, which is a, a really good pronunciation the way you say it. I really like it. Uh, and... Um, the reason our family, I have four older brothers, and uh, my father had a car business, my mom was a stay-at-home wife, um, and the main reason we came to the U.S. is because two of my brothers, my second and my third brother, 
were given expired vaccination for polio and they ended up getting polio because of the expired vaccination that they were injected with. So my mom, uh, this, uh, this, uh, this young girl, this 23 year old girl, my mom had 23 kids at the age of uh, five kids at the age of 23, you know, and I asked my parents, I was like, did you not have a TV at home or a radio station, (laughs) anything to keep you entertained? Like what's going on? And my mom was like, it is God's gift. I'm like, I think human beings have something to do with it, mom, but sure, (laughs) blame God for it. You go right ahead. But uh, my mom has always been this incredibly uh, innovative and, uh, you know, ambitious lady. And she would uh, usually cover herself up and go and stand in line at the uh, U.S. consulate five o'clock in the morning to say that she's going to take her kids to the States to get them treatment because there was no treatment for my brothers in Pakistan. So uh, Shriners Hospital, shout out to Shriners in Kentucky, uh, responded to one of the letters my mom wrote to them and told them that I have two sick kids. And that's how we started coming to the U.S. But I think the whole thing about all the kids coming here, my parents never lived here. Uh, my father had a business, so he always resided in Pakistan. But the reason uh, that we all ended up here, all five of us, is because my mom's uh, first cousin was a huge politician in Pakistan. And uh, we were started getting death threats at home when I was a teenager. And you know how that goes. Um, so, you know. Uh, Whose administration uh, were you under then? I, um... Was that uh, Ria or who was that? Uh, Benazir was in Benazir power. Bhutto. Okay. Benazir yeah. Bhutto was in power. So gotcha. my uncle had just gotten elected and uh, we were getting these death, death threats at home. So my mom, like my parents freaked out. They were like, we got to send all the kids to America. But, you know, coming from a conservative Muslim household, you know, sending the daughter off to a country like America or to the West isn't the most preferred choice. So my uncles and relatives were calling on my parents and were like, are you sure? I don't think you should send your daughter. She's going to be totally spoiled. She's going to be totally ruined. She's going to, you know, be out there telling jokes on stage, which they were so right. Uh, they didn't tell, they didn't talk about the jokes, but I manifested <laughs> that for myself. But, uh, and, uh, and uh, my parents were like, look, uh, if the sons go to America, the daughter goes to America too. She gets absolute equal treatment. So I think uh, as much of a conservative household as I grew up in, that's one thing I that really respect and value about my parents is that they gave me the equal access to America when I got here versus when I lived in. Uh, well, know, let me ask you, because you said you're a conser- you're, you, you came from a conservative household in Pakistan. Were you following all the rules, wearing the uh, burqa, all that good stuff when you were in Pakistan? We didn't wear uh, the burqa, but I performed the holy pilgrimage when I was 11 years old, which is very young. Yeah, very young to be performing a holy pilgrimage. But we were always, you know, we were we weren't allowed to like wear dresses or skirts or, you know, you were always covered up. You were pretty covered up most of the time. Right. You know, religion was a very big part of our household. You know, we were we, we were we had to read the Quran like twice. And it's fascinating, you know, when you grow up in a Muslim household that they teach you how to read the Quran, but the Quran's in Arabic. We don't speak Arabic. We, we speak Urdu. So we're like, yeah, I, I don't know. know what I'm reading. Yeah. You're like, I don't, don't know, know what I'm reading. But you're well, like, oh. yeah, sorry, go ahead. Well, maybe that explains your explosion when you came to the United States. Tell us about that transition now. This conservative Muslim woman, or how old were you? I was 15. 
Oh, that was at the prime age. A 15-year-old conservative Muslim woman comes to what state? Uh, New York. Good old New York. Oh, my God. What happened? I'm trying to figure the same thing out. Uh, I'm trying to figure out what happened indeed. You know, when you come to America, uh, because we in Pakistan would watch the movie Home Alone, we would watch these movies, and I'm like, oh, my God, that's what America looks like. And then when I got here, we were I got picked up by J- at JFK Airport by my brothers, and we were driving to Manhattan. I was like, oh, my God, this is just like the movie Home Alone. Like, this is where they shot it. And then when you cross the Holland Tunnel and get into Jersey City, you're like, what happened? This is not what I signed up for. This is a ripoff. Like, where's my money? I want it back. Like, I've been lied to. Because you get to Jersey City and you're just like, this is nothing like the show in the movies. This is so the opposite. And, you know, when you're like these poor immigrant kids, you come here. We lived in one bedroom roach infested basement apartment for god's sake like that is the farthest thing from the movie home alone so when you get here you're like oh my god this is this is not fun and you know going to school is a big culture shock mainly because of the fact not because we didn't speak the language i we spoke multiple language of languages growing up uh but when you go to school it's such a different it's such a different environment also 15 is the worst age to arrive to america it's the worst Kids already have their clicks. They don't know who you are. You're this fob, you know, this fresh off the boat kid. You know, kids are looking down at you. They're like calling you all kinds of names. You know, some kids were like, oh my God, you smell like curry. And I was like, curry's delicious. What are you talking about? <laughs> uh, <laughs> and now everybody wants to smell like curry, right? In the in the, in the the late 90s, nobody wanted to smell like curry. Now everybody wants a taste of the it's curry. It's the thing. It's the thing now. I mean, it's so good that England abandoned their awful fish and chips and took our food as their official food. Can you believe that? That's that is how like, good our food is. I mean, you're making a joke out of that, but that is actually true. When you talk about British cuisine, British cuisine is now like Indian, Pakistani, and everything right. else, you know? That's right. That's right. Because they're down with brown now. Just for the food, though. <laughs> Just for the food. Down with the brown. Just for the food, though. Everything else needs to wait, you know? But uh, uh, it was it was strange, and I, I must confess, like, I saw pregnant teenagers in school, and I was like, we just call them married back home. Like, I don't know what y'all call this here, but this is, this is a little strange. Uh, like, I've never seen stuff like this before. Like, this is interesting. But I, you get bullied a lot in school. I didn't know what were bullies, you know. We call bullies teachers in Pakistan. That's what we call them. <laughs> Uh, and I was like, oh, this is this is just so interesting and so weird. But um, I remember the first day I went in for my admission in high school and my oldest brother was my, uh, you know, was, was my legal guardian. And I remember we were sitting down and my principal turns to my brother and goes, does she speak English? Because, again, the stereotypes of fresh off the boat, right? The language, how are they going to blend in? And I remember turning to my principal and be like, what would you like me to say? And he was like, what? I was like, yeah, bruh, we speak English. We speak in the English. We were ruled by the British for a long, long time. Okay. You, we know uh, let's talk a little bit. This is a political show here. So I want to get a little bit funny with this. I find it amusing that you came here from Pakistan, right? You yeah. spoke English and several other languages because of the nature where you're from. I'm originally from Panama, so I speak English and Spanish. 
and a few little permutations thereof. You know, it, it is amazing that I find you come here and most of these folks here would only speak English. That's not a, it's not a hit on, on, on them only speaking English, sure. but the th because, you know, superpower, our language is the language. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. The, the, the thing that is seldom understood is that um, when those from other places where you have had dominion before, you would think you would know that, okay, if Pakistan was ruled by the British, maybe they speak English. If Vietnam was ruled by the French, maybe they spoke little French, French, right. you know? Right. Don't you think? Right. Yeah, I mean, the thing is that in America, we don't even speak English. We speak American. Like, <laughs> you know, we don't speak English. We speak American. Like, if you ever watch one of those crazy racist videos, like, listen to these people, the people who are attacking the minorities. The first thing I know, it's like, why don't you speak American? It's like, first of all, American's not even a language. It's an, it's a, it's an ethnicity. Like, what are you talking about? It's like somebody saying to me, why don't you speak Pakistani? <laughs> There's no such thing. Like Pakistani is not a language. Urdu is the language we speak. Hindi is the language we speak. Pakistani is not a language. So I think I, I think in America, of course, you know, as the American society, we also have this super, superiority complex because we're like we're you know we're we're the stuff, man. We're the hot stuff. And it's like, please, sir, take a seat. Like you can't even speak American, right? Please take many <laughs> seats. Please take many seats. And you know, I, I think. I think a lot of these folks who do speak like that don't even know the very history of their own country. Like this country is built on the back of immigrants like you and I. This is how this country is built. Like everything we have is by immigrants, built by immigrants, like for God's sake. So I think I just find it amusing and hilarious and uh, very ignorant when people come out and say, well, you know, you speak, you know, you're, you're coming from another country. It's like, yeah, the, the, the history of this entire country is immigrants. And everybody, you know, even, even those people that are sometimes attacking you, they were once immigrants. That's correct. Their children or grandkids or great, great grandkids of immigrants. You know, and, and that, that's why, you know, in, in, in our case, we are a progressive show and we have wonderful progressive listeners of all classes, of all races, of all ethnicities. And the one thing that we do at, in this program is bring folks on like you because, again, people get a chance to see the plethora of what America really is. And you, but the best part about it is you say it with a lot of possess. That's why we call you that badass comedian because, I mean, <laughs> I, <laughs> because, but anyhow, so you came to America, you went to high school, you went through your bullying, you went through all that good stuff of what is Americana. Yes. The question is, how the hell did you get to L.A. and start doing this stuff? I mean, how did this conservative Muslim girl yeah. turn into this badass comedian American woman? Uh, you know, I, um, I don't think being a stand-up comic was ever part of the plan by any means. It certainly wasn't the plan. I, I mean, when you come from a conservative Muslim household, you know, being a stand-up comic is not part of the is not part of the one of the career choices like uh my family uh just a little bit background on my family um i just grew up in a very uh i grew up with a lot of domestic violence in our house because my parents always thought about what had happened to my brothers my father blamed a great deal of it to my mother and there were always a lot of physical violence like a lot uh between my parents and i think when i moved to the u.s there was a lot of physical violence from my brothers. Uh, my brothers were very physically violent towards me. And I think when I turned 18, 
I just kind of realized that I just, I never felt like home was a safe place for me. So I just decided that I had to move out on my own and just figure my life out. I think at the age of eight, I had realized pretty early on that I wanted to be a performer. That much I knew. But the fact wait, wait, that- Did you say at the age of eight? Yes, at the age of eight. But at the age of eight, you were a conservative girl in Pakistan with those That's visions. Correct. So in reality, you were living out probably what you had seen on TV, maybe? That's correct. I uh, So Bollywood has a huge- huge influence around the world and of course in Pakistan because Pakistan is right next door to India so most of our entertainment is from Bollywood and I remember watching this movie with this amazing actress by the name of Madhuri Dixit and uh, Madhuri was doing a dance uh, to one of the songs and I just fell in love with her I was like oh my god you get to be like this incredibly beautiful and talented and funny like you can be a performer like that I'm like, that's it. That's going to be me. I'm going to be a performer for the rest of my life. But when I got here, that was, it was not so easy to navigate those waters. Because, not at all. you know, I have four older brothers. I'm the youngest and the only girl in the family. I am expected to go to school. Or, you know, I remember coming out of my artist closet to my brothers and I told them, and I was like, I want to be a performer. And my brothers gave me a very simple ultimatum. They said, what? either you're going to go to college and you're gonna become a physical therapist. I don't know why they wanted me to become a physical therapist. Maybe they had bad backs and they wanted free physical therapy. I don't know. <laughs> or they said, we were gonna send you back to Pakistan and mom's gonna marry you off to someone. So take your pick. Now, I think one thing I realized at a very early age is that, um, that nobody was going to tell me how to live my life, especially when I'm in the land of the free. Like there's no way. There's no way anybody gets to have any kind of, uh, you know, right or call on the way I'm going to live my life. So I remember telling my brothers and I was like, I love you, but go to hell. Like, this is my life and I'm going to do and I'm going to live the way I want to. No, let me ask you something, because like, this goes into a lot of what I think about when I come look at politics around the world and specifically, let's say, in the Muslim world. Yeah. I, I listened to you earlier tell me that at eight years old, you knew you wanted to be a performer. That yeah. wasn't necessarily a conservative Muslim thing for a young eight-year-old girl to, and even a 15-year-old girl now and to speak to a, a developed woman like yourself. Yeah. We look at what's going on in Afghanistan with women who are no longer allowed to become who they want to become. Um, what is it in the psyche of let's say the Muslim woman not in the United States that allows themselves to adapt to that modal? You know, I don't know if it's about adopting to a modal. I think it's, I think it's just being human. I think, you know, we all as human beings have dreams of things we want to do and pursue regardless of the environments that we are born and raised in. Um, you know, dreams are not limited to geography they're not limited to culture or religion or even gender for that matter i i think dreams are your dreams it's how you see living your life it's how you see yourself it's how you see that god has given every person has a god-given right to live their lives the way they wish to live and that nobody can take that away i want to go deeper than that though i want to go deeper than that 
<laughs> because I see you as special and I want to know how special you are relative to, let's say, Muslim women in Afghanistan. Let's take, let's go, even though I know you're from Pakistan, but let's go to Afghanistan because I know there are shared cultures and shared yeah. borders, et cetera. Yes. Um, there, there ought to be a lot of women, I imagine, in Afghanistan that has that same impetus to do what you want to do. Um, what is it that... Uh, why are you able to do it and so many have a problem escaping, if you will? Well, if you are uh, an Afghan woman or even if you're a Pakistani woman uh, living in an environment where you don't have the means or the resources that might like the way my family did to be able to send me to America. Yeah, like, like that's hard. I don't know for what reason God took pity on me and God blessed me with this opportunity to come to America and be able to become the woman I am today. But I know this much that because God has been so kind to me, I want to be able to use my platform to uplift women like myself or women who come from similar backgrounds to me or have experienced similar things to me. I mean, that is something that's the least I can pay forward. That's the least I can do. So it's not so much about why these women can't do what I'm doing. It's just their circumstances are probably a lot different than mine. You know, I'm sure that they were, if they were in similar circumstances than me and were given the same opportunities, I'm sure there would be incredible, amazing women doing special things. And it's that's the answer that I, that's, I am so happy for that answer because that's a perfect answer. Given opportunity, yeah. everyone gets that opportunity to be that's who correct. they want to be. That, was, that is the, the perfect answer. And you're putting your actions where your mouth is. You're putting your actions where your freedom is. I think this week, in fact, on Thursday, you're doing a big thing for yeah. people in Afghanistan. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, you know, I've... Um... I've watched uh, how the Taliban has come back and taken power and voices away from my Afghan sisters and brothers. And um, it has been really breaking my heart in every single way. And, um, you know, I, I grew up with a lot of Afghans in Pakistan because we have a huge Afghan population in Pakistan. I don't know if you know, but Pakistan has the number one highest amount of refugees in the world. Like mm -hmm. that's what Pakistan is as a, uh, as tumultuous as Pakistan can be, it's also this dynamic, very generous society that wants to take people in and help them out. Um, uh, this event, I, I've been watching Taliban how the first thing they did when they got to Afghanistan is paint over the paint over the women's pictures and yes. tell women to go home and they can't be professionals and put a burqa on and they're not allowed in the streets. So this is, with all due respect, uh, a middle finger to the uh, to the Taliban. So I wanted to do a comedy benefit for Afghanistan, but I just didn't want to have uh, any, uh, you know, just just a, another comedy show. I wanted to bring an Afghan female comedian to come and be the host of the entire event because it's really the Afghan women that I want to uplift and give a voice to. So I got lucky and found Neelab Sarabi, who's the first Afghan female comedian, and she was kind enough to agree to do it, and she's going to be our host. We have another Afghan comic, male Afghan comic. We have Persian comedians. We have Indian comics. Uh, then I'm on the lineup. And I really wanted to do this event and this fundraiser to, we're working with two amazing NGOs. We're working with Afghan Refugee Relief 
and we're working with Hope Be Lit. And uh, the 100% of the donations go directly to helping Afghans resettle in the US and also send money back to Afghanistan. So we are just, uh, I just wanted to do whatever I could. If this is the little platform I have and this is what I can do for my Afghan brothers and sisters, then this is what I'll do. So if your listeners want to come by, it's on Thursday, October 28th, 7.30 p.m. Uh, in Irvine. You can find more details at minorityreportswithaz.com. Why the Z, you ask, Egberto? Because we're cool. That's why. Uh, you're and damn cool. We're cool. That's why. We did not want to be confused with the cool Tom Cruise movie. So we are at minorityreports.com and you can go and uh, buy tickets. And if you can't come, donate to the charities that we're working with because this is this is a dire situation. Just the UN today came out and said that we are at the brink of a full-blown humanitarian, like this Afghan society is gonna collapse. Afghanistan society is gonna collapse. Millions of children are gonna go hungry. Forget about all the women that are stuck at home. I mean, this is just horrific what has happened in Afghanistan. So we wanna do our part. We wanna do whatever we can to give them opportunities. Just like God was kind enough to put me in a place to have an opportunity to live my dreams, I wanna create some kind of opportunities for my- And what's the website again, where they can get all the information about this? You can go to minorityreportswithaz.com. Excellent. Now, the last question I ask every one of my interviewees is as yeah. follows. What would you have liked me to ask you that I didn't? What would you have liked to ask me? Um, maybe ask me about um, maybe ask me about why comedy. Why comedy? <laughs> I don't have the answer, Egberto. I don't have it. But I, I, but you you asked me to ask you an answer that you say you don't have. I know you got a little piece of it. Let me hear. I it have the answer. That. You know, uh, it's interesting because I don't. I don't know if, you know, I watched the greats, uh, your Richard Pryor to your George Carlin, you know, uh, and not that I'm on their, on their level by any means. Um, I feel like comedy is that kind of a talent that chooses its, uh, its, its artist. Like comedy chooses you. I, you know, I feel like it's something that you're born with and that you recognize somewhere along the line and then you start honing that craft. I don't feel like you can teach comedy. Maybe you can teach the rules of comedy, but that anything that you have about having a voice, wanting to say something, having something meaningful to say, not that not that a lot of comics have something meaningful to say. I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not so sure about that. Um, you should hear some of the turkey sandwiches jokes I'd hear. I've, I've heard of the comedy clubs. But, um, but I just feel like comedy is something that's innate. And I feel fortunate that comedy chose me as one of its uh, delivery girls. Well, let me tell you something, Mona. Uh, don't sell yourself short. And don't think you're not in the company of the quote-unquote great because uh you have that electric personality that people want to listen to and that one could listen to over and over again so thank you so kindly for having been on politics done right thank you very much thank you so much for having me
we spend a lot of time deconstructing the news, trying to trying to parse it into a form that everybody can understand. We try to find those little nitpicks where uh, it goes, it flies above the fray, etc. If you really like these videos that we do, I want to ask a big favor. Please go ahead, number one, subscribe to our channel, and number two, please join if you can. Thank you so kindly for watching. Keep watching. Please remember to share. We must populate the entire internet with our progressive message, a message that we know is what most Americans say that they want. So help us please join.